Uh, we are going to step aside from our study in Romans. We're going to look at a passage uh, where the Apostle Paul shares how thankful he is for what the Lord has done for him and what the Lord has and is doing through him. And as we go through this message today, I just encourage everybody uh, to think of these two things and how they might apply to you, and uh, because they do apply to you. And uh, not just do they, but remind yourself on being thankful. Now, I must admit, I don't always do a, a, a Thanksgiving sermon, but when it does come to this, this short passage here, I think it should remind us, if not challenge us, to never forget what the Lord has done for us. To never forget, to never stop and openly, verbally give thanks to the one in whom it belongs. How many times do we thank people for something, thank them for a gift, thank them for thinking about them, thank them for a ride, all those things. How many times do we stop and thank the Lord? So if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. Now being that this is the beginning of Paul's letter to Timothy, let me just share briefly kind of what's going on here in the context. The Apostle Paul has now left Ephesus, which is where him and Timothy were serving together. And Paul has gone off to Macedonia. And while he is there, he is writing this letter. And he is asking Timothy to deal with something that is actually very difficult to do. And that is deal with the false teachers. False teachers in which I believe were actually inside this church. Now, the problem with these, what I call frauds, was that they not only taught false doctrine, but according to verse 4, they devoted themselves to myths and to endless genealogies, which Paul says uh, does nothing but promote controversy. We don't need controversy in the church. Verses 5 and 6 says they, they wandered away from the true goal, which is love, and they had turned to meaningless talk. And even worse than that, in verse 7, it says they wanted to become teachers of the law. Okay? Paul, of course, just was completely blunt with them and basically calling them ignorant. Matter of fact, his words were they did not even know what they were talking about. That's what he said about them. Yet they desired this lofty position of being a teacher. Well, Paul took this as an opportunity, starting in verse 8, to explain to them the truth when it comes to the use of the law. Now, hopefully, everyone here should have a better grasp on that, as we have been studying through the book of Romans. So, hopefully, uh, you yourself understand how to use the law. But he says here that the law is a good thing. He says there actually is a benefit to the law, but only if one uses it properly, okay? Therefore, as I'm sure you would think of, the question is, well, what is the proper use of the law? Well, Paul actually goes on to say that in verse 9. 
He says the law is made, notice what it says, not for the righteous. Okay? The law is made not for the righteous. In other words, the law is not made for the born-again believer. They have already repented of their sins. They've already turned to Jesus Christ for redemption. Instead, he says, the law is for, and then he goes on and he lists a whole bunch of sinners, rebels, ungodly, unholy, irreligious, and he goes on and on and on. The law, he is telling Timothy, who in turn can instruct the false teachers, he says it is for unrepentant sinners. He says that's what the law is for. He's trying to say, you need to tell these false teachers, this is what the law is for. It's not for this church. It's not for any church. It's for an unrepentant sinner. As he told the church in Rome in chapter 3, verse 20, it's through the law that we become conscious of sin. And he also told the church in Galatia, in chapter 3, verse 24, we've talked about this many times in our study of Romans, but he says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Okay? In other words, once the law proves you to be a sinner, that you have fallen short of God's holy standards, then you know that you need a Savior. That's the point of the law. So this is a crystal clear message that the Apostle Paul is trying to emphasize. Now, as we move from there and as we go directly into our text this morning, this whole issue of sin and the responsibility of sharing the true gospel has actually reminded Paul of what he has in Christ. You ever think about that when you hear a message or you start talking about something else? And it just kind of reminds you of something on a personal basis. That's what's happening here with the Apostle Paul. This discussion is coming back to speak to him personally. Okay? He ended the previous verse, verse 11, by saying the glorious gospel of the blessed God was entrusted to me. Okay? The glorious gospel of the blessed God, Paul says, was entrusted to me. And with that reminder, starting in verse 12, Paul is going to take some time to uh, inventory his own life, and he wants to just praise God for not just transforming him into who he is, but for now actually using him. Those are two different things into sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so look at verses 12 through 14. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he has considered me faithful, appointed me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So you'll notice here that Paul begins in verse 12 with first and foremost, and this is what I want us to remember today, okay? But he starts with giving thanks to the only one to be honest with it, the only one who is worthy to have his name printed in that verse. No other name 
can be substituted in that verse, not one. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul here is coming off of the back end of verse 11, which I just mentioned a minute ago, he is amazed. Paul is literally shocked that Almighty God would use such a person as him to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Knowing his tainted past, and that's probably an understatement, it's, like, it's almost like Paul never gets over it. He is always astonished with the Lord's desire to use him. And so with Paul knowing he's been blessed, literally beyond measure, he simply mentions three things here in verse 12 that he is thankful for as it comes to him being entrusted with the gospel. Number one, Paul says that he is thankful to God for giving him strength. Thankful to God for giving him strength. Paul knew, folks, that in his present ministry, along with the things that have already been accomplished in his ministry, was not through his own doing. Paul was actually, he knew and he was humble enough to admit this, that it was the Lord who had empowered him through his ups and through his downs. It wasn't because I'm just a rock-solid dude, I'm faithful, I'm all this or I'm this. You don't see the word I anywhere going on. Paul understands that it's God who empowers him to bring him through this. He knew that he would have never survived the shipwrecks, the floggings, the stonings, the prison, the hunger and the thirst, and all the things that he mentions without being empowered by God. No possible way. I mean, just looking at the suffering and the trials that the Apostle Paul went through, and there were, I mean, many that Paul went through, you know that what he's saying is as real as it gets. Okay? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul's second letter to Timothy, actually it's his final letter of his life. Paul is standing on trial, and all of his companions have deserted him. And Paul said, the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. He says the same thing there. After everything Paul had did, after every life that he had poured himself into, he's standing on trial and everybody else bailed. They don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to be seen with the apostle Paul. What if that happens to me? So Paul is left with nothing after all these years. And so he goes, you know what? The Lord strengthened me. The Lord stood with me. Paul knew that he was only one man. He knew himself more than anybody, and therefore he just, he just stopped to give thanks to the one who empowered him to do it all. How often do we just stop and just thank the Lord? How often do we do that? Do we just stop and thank God? Number two, Paul thanked the Lord for considering him faithful. And this is, of course, why God enabled and strengthened him to preach the gospel. He knew that Paul would be trustworthy. He knew that Paul would be reliable. Okay, But listen, even with that, Paul gave the credit to the Lord. Okay, 
Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25, he described himself as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. It wasn't some great trait that Paul always had, that I'm just such a trustworthy guy. Even that, he says, the credit goes to the Lord. It's because of the mercy of God that I am trustworthy, that I am who I am. Number three, still in verse 12, Paul thanks the Lord for appointing him to service. Now this can also read, I thank the Lord for putting me into the ministry. You can put it that way. I thank the Lord for calling me to serve him. There's a few different ways we can look at that. But most of us who have been and still are serving the Lord in some fashion, we appreciate the fact that God has somehow chosen to use us, an extremely flawed group of people, okay? I mean, what a privilege it is to be used by God in the service of his church, especially knowing, just like Paul, that not a single one of us are worthy of that position. None of us are worthy. Well, Paul, as we'll see in the next verse, did not feel worthy either. Looking at his, his life before Christ in Philippians chapter 3, it says that Paul persecuted the church. In Acts 22, it says for some of them, he put them to death. In Acts chapter 8 verse 1, he's actually called Saul at this time. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. You might remember Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death. And yet Paul was there giving approval of what just took place. Yet even through all that, God saw that this, this fiery, zealous Pharisee would be just as intense in the proclamation of the gospel as he was in his persecution. Paul was beyond thankful for the recognition as well as the opportunity to serve, but, but he was still dumbfounded. He was so thankful for what God had done and how he was using him, but yet he's still just going, <laughs> me? Really? Notice his words in verse 13. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. One commentator says, Paul knew so well the pit from which he had been dug. That was his life. He was just in a pit. Now those words that you see he mentioned there, blasphemer, persecutor, violent man, those words, folks, were not for show. Okay, They were not being used as an exaggeration. In other words, it wasn't hyperbole. This is exactly who Paul the Pharisee was. This is who Paul the fanatic used to be. Okay? Take your Bibles real quick and turn back to the book of Acts. Turn to uh, chapter 22. We'll look at a couple different sections here. But in Acts 22, verses 4 and 5, 
Paul said, I persecuted the followers of this way, meaning the church, these people who are following Jesus. I persecuted them to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Look at verses 19 and 20. Same chapter. Lord, I replied, this is Paul speaking, the men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and to beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Move over to chapter 26. Verses 9 through 11. Paul says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of their saints in prison, and then they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Folks, if you lived your past life like Paul did, the grace of God is especially vivid in your mind when you see what God has done and where he has brought you. A great, great sinner is in need of great, great grace. Keep that in mind. Even though the Apostle Paul himself, as he said in Philippians chapter 3, speaking of his former self, he said, I was circumcised. He was bragging. If you, if you were to brag, he says, I could brag. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I'm not no proselyte. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. Now, folks, all that being said, that did not mean that Paul was always this faithful Jew. There was a lot of external stuff going on there, and some of it was just by happenstance. You know, he didn't choose his parents, right? Responding to how Paul used to treat Christians at that time, MacArthur says, Paul shattered the Decalogue, smashing its commandments on the rock of his own pride. In other words, the standards of God that Paul would have said were his very lifeblood were thrown out the window. Paul would have stood tall and said, this is where I stand. This is why I fight. This is why I kill and persecute. They were thrown out the window. Even though he had all of these Jewish credentials, he stepped all over the commandments of God in order to crush the church. Well, looking back and knowing that he was an extremely blessed man, which is why he starts this off by saying, let me just thank the Lord off the bat. Okay, 
He says now in the second half of verse 13, you know what? I was shown mercy. Even though I did all of those things, I was shown mercy. Let me remind every one of you here today to thank the Lord for his mercy. You need to stop and thank the Lord for his mercy. I don't think we understand that enough. Even though Paul was able to think back and remember the great horrors that he caused in so many people's lives, what is now virtually even greater than those horrors was the mercy of God. There had to be great mercy to cover great sin. There had to be. Now that word, that word mercy denotes not receiving all of the punishment that we deserve. That's what mercy is. It's not receiving all of the punishment that each and every one of us deserves. Now therefore all of us who are believers have obtained mercy because all of us deserve a godless eternity. That's why I said you should really thank God. We all should really thank God for his mercy because every one of us deserve a godless eternity. What made Paul so thankful was that he felt that God probably had to, to empty and then probably refill his supply of mercy a couple of times when it came to his past life. He was such a horrible, rotten human being that God had to dish out a lot of mercy. A lot of mercy. Let's just say when Paul got saved, there was a whole lot of forgiveness going on. God's mercy was abundant. And Paul knew it, and he was willing to just stop and thank the Lord for it. That's the key. We can all sit here and say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. But do you stop and thank the Lord for that? Now, if you're wondering how someone so vile as Paul could have received so much mercy, verse 13 says it's because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. Folks, Paul was sincere in believing that he was actually serving God while persecuting the church. He really believed that he was doing God's will by persecuting the church. In his mind, he acted as any good Jew would by protecting Judaism from what was considered to be a false religion. Now, would it have been different if this was uh, willful, flat-out disobedience on Paul's part? Absolutely it would have. Would God have looked at Paul uh, differently if he was some hardened apostate? He would have. Matter of fact, you'll see that. You can look at this later if you'd like, but in Numbers chapter 15, verses 22 through 31, Numbers 15, 22 through 31. This passage shows us that God deals with consequences differently when it comes to the ignorance or unintentional wrongs. He did that under the law. And according to Paul, back here in 1 Timothy, he says God applied that to me as well. God blessed me because I was ignorant. This is why Paul is so thankful for God's mercy. He didn't have to save Paul, number one. And he didn't have to use him either. 
He could have just taken him out during the time that he persecuted the church. And Paul knew that. When Paul was doing the evil that he did, God could have just taken him out. It wouldn't be the first time that God had done such a thing. But he spared Paul. Didn't even, not just spared him, but saved him and used him. He recognizes that. He's, he's thinking about it. He's very thankful for that. And folks, I hope that you all know this as well. And as I've said before, I, I do hope that you will stop and thank God every single day. Not on Thanksgiving, not on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, not on, you know, some simple concept that happens. You thank God every single day for the fact that you have not been given the judgment, or should I say we have not been given the judgment that we all deserve. And not only that, but God chose to save us. You ever think about that? Not only did he not give us his divine judgment, but he chose to save us. And we all know what Romans 5.8 says, right? We were living in sin, but Christ died for us anyway. Wow. Now, as we move into verse 14, Paul now tells us that it was more than mercy that he received from the Lord. Verse 14 says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul here, he he goes directly from discussing mercy of God and now talking about the grace of God. He thanks God for the mercy, and now he thanks him for his grace. Now those two words, even though they are closely related, they are different. I hope you know that. Mercy, as I mentioned earlier, is God not giving us what we deserve. Okay? Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is God giving us the things we do not deserve. Right? That's pretty amazing when you put both of those together. Grace can, in essence, be defined as God's undeserved blessings that he pours out on us. A very important word there is undeserved. Okay? Undeserved. All of the amazing things that we have received in our lives, every single one of them, folks, that is the grace of God. Do you understand that? It's the grace of God. I was trying to think, just this morning before I came here, I read something, and it was simply, it just happened to go with this, but it was simply mentioning how great God's grace is And yet we don't understand how great God's grace is until we understand how wretched of a sinner we are. If you don't understand how wretched of a sinner you are, you'll never understand the greatness or the grace of God. God has poured out his grace on Paul, and he, like all of us should, is taking time to identify him as the only giver the only giver of such blessings. This was actually realized by the Apostle John in John 1.17. John says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth 
were realized through Jesus Christ. Paul also told the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 8, he said, to me, the very least of all the saints, and of course he said that because of his past. He knew what he had done. I am the very least of the saints, he says, but yet this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Folks, that is the exact point that Paul is making in our text here in 1 Timothy. God's mercy, in addition to God's grace, allowed Paul to be this great apostle who lived his life to reach people with the gospel. Once again, Paul is amazed. He is shocked that Almighty God would actually use him. But he is so thankful that he did. And think about that. I mentioned before, all the things he went through, the floggings, the beatings, the stonings, where they literally thought he, he, it was so bad, they stoned him to the point it was so bad, they just thought he was dead. That means I had to be pretty bad if they thought he was dead. Yet he got back up and went back into the city. But he went through this time after time after time, and yet he thanks God that he pointed him to this position. That's an amazing statement. Here in verse 14, Paul is thinking back to a time of unbelief, time before Christ, a time where there was aggression towards God and his church, a time when there was a great chasm between him and the God he thought he knew. Little did he know that the hand of the God he persecuted was preparing to pour out on him what he calls the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The God that he persecuted was getting ready to pour out the love and the faith that were in Christ. What Paul is saying here is that God's grace upon his life was so abundant As the Greek word actually states, it is beyond abundant. It is exceedingly abounding, is what it means. That he has not only pardoned all of his shameful offenses, that's mercy. He pardoned all of his shameful offenses down to murder. But yet he has granted him salvation, and that's grace. There was mercy, and then there was grace. It's like, you know, giving the murderer, you know, a free car. You know, we, we would look at that in the real world and go, what? What? But yet God forgave Paul, granted his mercy, did not just take him out. And yet not only that, but he gave him salvation. He chose him to use him in the ministry, to be blessed throughout his entire life, to serve the Lord in these ways. Folks, the transition from verses 13 into verse 14 is from abounding sin to superabounding grace. Once again, you, you can't have one without the other. If you have an abounding sin, you have to have a superabounding grace. The faith and love that he mentions here is in contrast to the unbelief and the hatred that was part of his previous life. Salvation through Jesus Christ changed Paul's life. 
And folks, that is the message that Paul is praising God for. That is the message that he is thanking the Lord for. And I'll bet you he does it more than once a year. He is remembering back before he was saved. He was thinking of all the horrible things that he had done and is still astonished to the very day that he wrote this letter, which has been many years, by the way, that God would not only save him, forgive him, but actually using him the way that he did in building his church. Could you imagine Paul understanding that after he did what he did to the church, throwing people in prison, having many of them murdered, standing there next to Stephen as he was killed, and yet half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, folks, I know for me, uh, when I read this text, and I, this is something I, when I read many, many years ago, when I read this text, it kind of brings me back personally to the same place that brought Paul. It just does. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. I can read that for me. I'm just speaking for myself. I can read that. No, I'm not Paul, but I can just put my name on it because that's reality for me. Many of you know my testimony. I'm not going to go through everything again, but I did a, a lot of very bad things in my life. A lot of uh, illegal things in my life, a lot of horribly immoral things in my life. I abused people and on and on and on. Um, but for some reason, some way, one day in May of 1988, God burdened my heart to the point that I could not resist that. And I remember that day. And about three days later, I came to faith in Christ. God did something to my heart that very day that I just stopped. And I just, it's like at that point, my heart was changed. It was changed enough so I would say, I need Jesus really bad. And then all those years later, even though I'm, I'm a nobody in the Christian world, if you will, but... To, to think that for 25 years um, I've been teaching the Bible expositionally, um, whether it be just a group of five people at a Bible study or a small church, um, it still amazes me that to this day, why, why would I be here? Why would I be standing in front of you? There are so many other people who can do a much better job, but for some reason, even though, once again, I'm not Paul, and I'm not trying to compare myself with Paul, but... When I look at my past life and I can see what God did for me, how he convicted me to a point that says you need Christ and you need him now. And, and I wasn't going to walk away from that at that point in my life. And then, and then God used me in whatever fashion to share the truth of his word. In prisons where I used to go when I first got saved, I used to share in prisons a lot, talk to young people in youth prisons. 
and then going on to, you know, teaching every Sunday. I, even then, I'm still amazed that why on this earth would God use me? I'm thankful, and I, just so you know, I do thank God every single day. And that's not a boastful statement. I stop and thank God every single day for what he's done, for my salvation, and for where I am today.